I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Mail Plus Health, where I speak to Mr. Alastair Mace, ear, nose and throat consultant at Charing Cross Hospital in London and the Harley Street ENT Clinic. Alastair, thanks so much uh, for coming back. We did ears last week and we're doing uh, kind of nose and maybe moving on a bit into the throat for this week. So we've got a whole lot of questions that people have been, have been asking and that you've kindly agreed to answer. So should we just jump straight in? Absolutely, yes, yes. Well, the first one, Joe, I knew I knew we had questions on this. <laughs> this is, yeah, I think it is going to resonate with absolutely everybody. Because <laughs> he's a partner that snores. So this is about snoring. <laughs> absolutely. One of the most common things I see in ENT. But last week we did wax. <laughs> and now this week it's snoring. So my husband's snoring wakes me up at night and the lack of sleep is making my life hell. I'm so tired and irritable the next day. I'm desperate for sleep but I don't want to move into the spare room because I love my husband dearly and fear this will ruin an otherwise really happy marriage. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) What treatments can help? Can he have surgery? I read somewhere that you have to find the source of the snoring. Well, this is such a common scenario and it's always the the wife who's troubled by the husband as well rather than the other way around. It just seems to be much more common in men than, than women. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I do empathise with this, with this lady um, and she mustn't despair. There is plenty that can, can be done. Um, so the, she's absolutely right. The first thing really is to look for a, a cause for the snoring um, and, and treat that cause. Uh, in the old days, um, people were, who, who snored were, were sent off for an operation and it worked in some people and it didn't work in others. And, and now we realise that it really must be very much tailored to the, the person who snores and the underlying problems that they've got. The very first thing I would say is that a lot of snoring is weight related. And um, the first thing I would ask in this situation is how much does her husband weigh? And it's going to be a, you know, a difficult question sometimes, difficult thing to bring up with patients that you know perhaps losing some weight uh, might be a good idea. And the best way to, to do that is to sit some, someone down, have a look at their, measure their height and their weight, look at their BMI um, and, uh, and calculate and see whether they do come into the obese area. Because the first thing that they can do is, is lose some weight and that can make a dramatic difference to the snoring. And is that right? The reason that, that that makes such a difference is because the pressure, literally, of just the weight of, of, of the fat and the tissue, when yeah. it pushes down onto their onto their the, 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 the throat, and that that changes the pressure, and it makes means that the, 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 they snore that way. Is, is that right? That's Absolutely. And one of the places you get deposition of fat when you put on weight is it around the pharynx, around the back of the throat, um, and that pushes the walls of the throat together, makes them more floppy, um, narrows the airway, um, and also weight in the the front of the neck as you lie flat, pushes the tongue backwards, um, and all of that causes the the tissues to flop down to the back of the throat and and cause snoring. And uh, it it doesn't need to be a a dramatic amount of weight loss. Um, A few kilos uh, can make all the difference. Uh, a bit of more of a healthy lifestyle, some exercise, increases the muscle tone, take away that fat around the, the throat and the snoring can go away. And that doesn't involve any medications or any surgery and is good for the patient's general health. So, you know, that's the, the very first step with all, with all snorers. 
but then you know you do sometimes find people that, that, that snore that aren't overweight at all and then there's obviously some underlying issue and you need to look into that in a little bit more detail so uh, the first thing I do when I, I, I see a, a, a snoring patient, I like to see a patient with their, their wife and their partner um, because it's very important to get a, a bit of a history from the, the partner because they're the ones that are experiencing, that they're the ones that are affected by the snoring, but they'll also be able to give a bit of a description about it. And snoring itself is one problem, but it can often be associated with something called obstructive sleep apnea. And that's when the breathing gets blocked at night. And that's a bit more of a serious condition that can cause health issues, strain on the heart and the, and the breathing, and it can cause uh, poor concentration and sleepiness during the day, and, and even has been the cause of car accidents and, and things like that. And that's so if there's a, any history that suggests some obstruction of the breathing at night, then that's something that needs looking into a bit more urgently. And that's often, isn't it, when your the partner will suddenly say, oh my God, it's really scary, they just suddenly stop breathing. Yes, so that's why having the partner there is really important, because I ask, you know, does the breathing stop at night for, for periods of, um, you know, 20, 30 seconds or so? And if that is the case, then they should have something called a sleep study, where their sleep is monitored overnight to check for that. And then that, that well, I'll put that aside, the treatment for that is, is, is more complex and, and separate from simple snoring. But if you've ruled that out and it's just the snoring that's the problem, then they need a sort of comprehensive ENT examination, which involves looking in the nose and throat with a telescope and assessing the, the jaw and the tongue and the palate and, and, and the nasal cavity. And, and often you'll find some problem there. Um, common things are if the cartilage in the nose is bent and blocking the nose, um, if the tonsils are very large, uh, if the palate is very long and floppy, or the tongue base is, is very bulky and, and falling backwards. And, and all of these things we look for, and they can be addressed in, in, in various ways um, um, separately. Uh, so with snoring, uh, you know, patients often do and eventually, uh, if it's severe enough, end up having some sort of operation and that, that will be tailored to correct the abnormality that you find. There are other things though that can help without surgery, such as um, splints that you can wear that pull the jaw forward, stop the tongue collapsing back, or uh, little um, strips that you put on the nose to hold the, the nostrils apart to help the breathing through the nose. So it sounds like this kind of falls very much in the remit of ENT. Because I think one of the problems with people who are snoring, they don't know where to go. You know, they don't know, you know who's the snoring doctor. Um, and, and, and so I think, you know, so it sounds like what you're saying is actually an ENT surgeon is in the best position because they can actually have a look to find out yeah. what's causing this. So before they, someone goes down sort of the, you know, the sleep study route, which mm. is a big long waiting list for and it's very difficult to get mm -hmm for actually it sounds like a referral to for just a general examination by an ENT surgeon is actually that should be everyone's sort of first port of call if it's causing problems. Yeah absolutely snoring is very much an ENT um, uh, specialty and uh, there are even ENT surgeons that, that specialise their whole careers in, in treating snoring um, and so yes yeah, so definitely I think it'll be the first port of call but we do work together with respiratory physicians and you know, sleep specialists if we do feel that there's a problem with sleep apnea or other issues. So the next question is, I've suffered with catarrh since my school days. I'm now 45 and I still have it. I find it drips down and makes me cough no matter what the weather. I've tried all the decongestions. Can you help? 
So yes, again, another very common thing that I, I see. And the first thing I say to patients is that, uh, believe it or not, we, um, we produce a litre and a half of secretions a day from our nose and throat. And um, most of the time, most of us are not really aware of that. We, uh, we swallow it down and, and our life carries on. We don't even think about it. Um, but when it starts to build up and sort of stick in the throat and get cloggy there, that's when people you know, become aware of it and becomes a bit of a problem. Um, and, um, you know, often that will be related to hydration. And uh, the first thing is, you know, are you drinking enough water? Um, we should all be drinking a good two litres of water a day to keep our secretions nice and thin and moist and watery. Um, and then they pass down, they lubricate your throat and your mouth and pass down easily without building up. Um, so that's the number one thing. Hydration and um, steam inhalations can be helpful. Salt water, gargles or sprays for the nose or throat. But, you know, if it's persisting despite all of those things, then to look for a cause. My way of dealing with, with it is that I feel that either the, the phlegm is coming from the top to bottom, so it's coming from the back of the nose down into the throat, or it's coming up from down below, so refluxing of, of secretions back up into the throat from the esophagus or the, the stomach, and they're two very separate conditions. One of the things I will do is to have a look at, at, at the patient carefully, have a look at the throat, and again, perform an endoscopy, so pass a little telescope into the nose, down into the throat, to see whether there's any abnormal swelling or abnormal mucus production in, from the nose. There may be polyps or sinusitis or something that's causing some thick mucus to pass into the back of the throat. It's a common problem in, in teenagers where their adenoid tissue at the back of the nose is regressing and they tend to get a scabby buildup at the back of the, of the nose. And you can see that with the telescope, they get a big thick buildup of crusted dried out mucus. And that's something that can be helped by douches that wash salt water through the nose. Is that, you know, when people sort of, that sort of, old, well, slightly olden days kind of thought about, you know, I seem to remember when I was at school years ago, people go, oh, it's his adenoids. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and people are always taking time off work because they're adenoids. And I didn't ever, I just, I haven't <laughs> thought about it for about 30 years, but I'm sure I didn't remember this. It's like well, adenoids are, are basically like tonsils that uh, sit at the back of the nose. But they're a bit of a mystery because you, you can't see them unless you've got a telescope to look at them. So they sit right at the back of the nose, right up behind the palate, and they're not visible to the, the normal normal person. Um, but uh, they shrink down as you go to sort of late childhood, early adulthood. The adenoids shrivel up and disappear. Um, so most adults don't have much adenoid tissue. But sometimes during that process, as they're shriveling up, they get a bit inflamed. And, and you know, that can be a, a source of a lot of mucus at the back of the nose. So, so it sounds like there's a whole lot of different things, really, that it could be. Mm. Um, and that if it is, as you were saying, kind of caused by the back of the nose and it's dripping down and it's kind of causing mucus that way, that, that really, and again, a sort of ENT surgeon would need to have a look to investigate mm. it. Because when I heard that question, I immediately thought, oh, is this some kind of allergy? Mm. Is, that, that, is that called rhin rhinitis? Is that yes, right? absolutely. So rhinitis is an inflammation of, of the nose and the commonest cause is, is some sort of allergy. And that's something that we can see with our, with our telescopes. You can see the lining of the nose and it has a very classical appearance where it gets congested and swollen and you can see the watery mucus coming off, off the surface. Um, and um, uh, we can do allergy testing for that. That can either be done through a blood test or some skin prick allergy testing. And, you know, ideally what you want to do is find out what's causing the allergy. And then if you can avoid that, 
then um, hopefully the, the condition will imp improve without needing any medication or, or other treatment. But uh, it depends what shows up positive on the tests. If, um, if it comes back positive for, for dog dander, uh, the patients often aren't very keen to get rid of their favorite pet. Um, but uh, yeah, there are various ways you can manage those results. Some things are easier to, to eliminate than others. Because we, we actually had, we had several questions, well, quite a few questions actually on this. There's another one saying my nose runs non-stop, the mucus is clear, and sometimes there's a salty taste at the back of my throat. Is there anything I can do or take to dry it out? So I suppose, again, it would be kind of like identifying, well, what is actually, what's causing this? Mm, so yeah. something like a decongestion, something you might buy over the counter, is just really dealing with the symptom, which is the, the runny nose, as opposed to dealing with the actual underlying cause. Yeah, so you mentioned decongestants there. So ENT surgeons hate decongestants. They're evil things. <laughs> they, um, long term use of decongestants is very bad for, you, for your nose. They're okay uh, in short, sharp doses for, for a few days, but long term use. Why are they bad in long term? Well, there are all sorts of problems in the nose. So uh, best avoided, really, unless you want to use them for a couple of days if you've got a bad cold. But for more longer term use, we, we, we like to use steroid sprays, which although the word steroid sometimes alarms people, actually when you, they're used as a spray on the surface of the nose, they're very, very safe, very effective. They just take a little bit longer to kick in. They don't give you that instant relief you get when you spray a decongestant in the nose. They take a week or two to kick in, but they work very well for nasal allergies and post-nasal drip and nasal mucus. Okay, so, so it sounds like so even if you can't quite get to the bottom of what the problem is, um, or the, the actual cause is difficult, like it's your, you know, your rover, your pet dog, and you don't want to get rid of it, <laughs> um, you, can, you can still, there's still other options. So maybe steer away from the decongestion. So I suppose that's the thing that's easy. People think, oh, right, you know, I've got this thing, I've bought it over the counter, mm. you know, it kind of works, so I'll just keep on taking that, why would I stop? But actually, it seems like, you know, see if you can get the underlying cause and then depending what that is even if it's just symptomatic relief actually steroid nasal steroid spray which you get from your doctor is much better than what you might buy over the counter absolutely and, and some people still would rather not use any medication in the nose which is it's understandable particularly if it's going to be a long-term thing they don't really want to use something every day so actually there are uh, more natural remedies um, particularly seawater salt water sprays for the nose and although they don't have any medication in them, what they do is they wash out the dust and the pollutants and the allergens from the nose, they wash them through um, off the surface of the nose and they can be quite effective for, for allergens. Yeah, I, use, I actually use one of those myself in a gin spring because I get a little tiny bit of hay fever, it's slightly irritating and it always seems to come on the same time of day. It's really, there's like a block of about three months and it always seems to kick in about eight o'clock and yeah. drives me mad. And, and, I've, and someone, a friend recommended to be able to just bought it over the internet and it's like a little kind of canister, a little spray of just salty water and mm. it just sort of rinses it out. It's like you just spray it in there, blow out, blow your nose and then it seems yeah. to miraculously work. I don't know, presumably it just kind of washes out the pollen or whatever it is. Exactly, it does seem to work and it's very nice and soothing and people yeah. actually feel, you know, it's a nice feeling. Putting like it a minute and you just squirt it and then you blow your nose and it's gone. But yeah, I like it. I need some <laughs> allergy testing though, Mac. <laughs> oh no, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so when then we then have this other question again, it was sort of similar along these sorts of these lines about post nasal drip. Just said I can't clear mucus at the back of my throat. My doctor says it's called post nasal drip, and I was told it might be something to do with acid reflux. Hmm. So that's what I was saying about you know, is it coming from from up from up at the top coming down, or is it coming from below up into the 
the throat. And we've talked about nose and nasal secretions, and that's you know what we talk about with the post-nasal drip, it's coming from the nose. But but often um, actually the sensation of phlegm in the back of the throat may be coming from reflux of, of, of stomach contents up into the throat. The phlegm that you're feeling there isn't necessarily the reflux itself because that's often only happening at night when you're lying flat and you're asleep. And it leaves the back of the throat a little bit swollen um, and inflamed and you feel that as if there's something there, there's something in the throat, something that you want to clear because everything feels a bit swollen, it feels like mucus. Um, and that, you can actually see that very easily with, a, with an endoscopy. Um, you can see the inflammation, very typical pattern that's associated with acid reflux um, and treating the reflux both with medication, but also with, with diet and lifestyle measures uh, can get that to go away. That's all our questions for today. Thank you very much for your time. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you want more from Alastair Mace, he is at harleystreetent.com and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And whilst you're there, please leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.